This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. We recorded this podcast a couple weeks ago before COVID-19's effects were truly felt in most of the U.S. With that, two things. A lot is going on in our world. Please know that we at Nest continue to monitor the rapidly changing marketplace. If you have questions, concerns, or simply need a friendly voice to chat with, please don't hesitate to reach out directly to your Nest agent. We are here for you. The podcast you're about to listen to is with one of the people you read and hear about who could be impacted by our world's events. No local sports means no games to cover for scrimmage play, which over the long term could mean slowing readership demand and is an example of the potential ramifications of this disaster. Bart is an example of one of the finest parts of the community, someone who lives, breathes, and serves the community through the lens of high school sports. We are happy and proud to have had him join us. Now, on to the podcast. So we're sitting here with Bart Isley with Scrimmage Play, local publication in the Charlottesville Abmoral region. Um, so Bart, what do you do? We cover high school sports. Uh, we write about them, podcast about them, take videos, shoot photos, and we publish it. The intent is to be a, a entity of record for uh, yeah. high school sports in the Central Virginia area, and uh, to you know just get the you know get that information out, recognize kids for what they're doing, and just be sort of that t- that cultural touchstone for the high school sports community. So you, we talked about the other day about how you're you're looking at becoming or having this scrapbook quality. Yes. Of what people are doing. I mean, it's you, you've been doing this for how many years? Ten years now. Ten years. And so, I mean, high school sports are something they're, they're huge. I mean, that's where parents see their kids' names, grandparents see their kids' names, friends, et cetera. So, tell me about the scrapbook quality of what you're what you're achieving. I think that's really key. Like, I, I think that when you look down the road, you want to see, you know, you want it to be a part of what people remember about their high school experience. I think that you want to be, I think it's a way that kind of ties a lot of families, it ties a lot of communities together in a pretty significant way. Right. I think that when, you know, you look, I, one of the early examples was I was writing for a paper in Texas when I was kind of cutting my teeth as a reporter, and uh, a lady had taken all of uh, the articles that I'd written about a softball team uh, a, a fantastic softball team, by the way, that had like four kids that could hit it out of the park. Right, and she had made them made the articles into a bag that she carried with her to games. That's so awesome! It was like my byline all around this like huge bag that she carried snacks and you know a blanket and everything. It was a part of that experience, mm-hmm. and I think that's where that struck me first was that man, like what you're doing is important. Like it's not like important in the grand scheme of things. It's not solving, you know, it's not curing cancer or it's anything. It's important in the lives of the kids who are spending four years in high school sports, though. Yeah, it's. And I think that that was, it was that was a big moment for me seeing that. I was like, man, like we got number one, like man, we need to sell these bags <laughs> as a paper. But like also, like hey, like this is you know what you're doing. The words you write are important. You should be careful about what you're doing. You should be cognizant of how important it is, and you should show up all the time. And I think that that was uh, that was a big lesson for me. And I think that you know it's just it's something important. We write a lot about you know a kid who's a district player of the year, and then their dad was the district player of the year, or their older brother was the district player of the year. This is high school sports is something that runs in families, it runs in small towns, it runs in communities. It it ties a lot of things together um, that that not many other things can do it that way. That can be a great equalizer where it doesn't matter you know. You know whether you grew up in a trailer park or whether you grew up in the biggest house in town, 
you know, when you're on the field, you're you know with those guys like a lot of one set of rules and one team that has to work together. One bond, I think a lot in a lot of cases, and I think that you know, I think that's high school sports at its ideal. I don't think it's always necessarily like that, but I think that that's sort of the piece, and you know, and it was important to my family uh, in a lot of ways. My dad was a high school golfer, um, so. I did not inherit that skill set necessarily. <laughs> I was good. I was a good short game. Couldn't hit the ball very far. Um, right. And it, but I found football, and my uncle had played football. I saw you know pictures of him, you know where he was wearing number fifty five. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's a family number. Like I'm gonna start wearing fifty five. And I think that um, that's what high school sports can do. It can unite unite people. It can kind of give you that common thread. It can give you that. Uh, a sort of uniting story that can be important to families, important communities, and important to schools. Do the kids know each other? I mean, do they know each other, you know, one, in general, and two, do they know each other better because of what you do? I think they know each other better because of what we do in a lot of ways. I think that, you know, uh, kids now, much like in the NBA where guys like uh, LeBron or whoever, you know, know each other because they've been on the AAU circuit together for a long time or they played, you know, played each other in high school, know each other. That's true. That kind of trickles down to a micro level where a lot of kids who play travel sports in particular that are built from larger geographic areas know each other a little bit better today than they do. But I think part of it, too, is that they can keep up with what is so a kid at St. Anne's uh, here in Charlottesville Mm -hmm. uh, can keep up with, you know, even though they go to St. Anne's, they grew up in Louisa County, can keep up with what their friends are in Louisa County were doing. You know, they can they know what's happening. They can, you know. It, through social media, a lot of those bonds kind of happen, and we end up being a little bit of a touchstone. Well, you're also that. a filter. I mean, you, you, fil- you filter the positive stuff. You filter the good stuff that's out there so that people can read just, I mean, really, just the good stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the great advantages for scrimmage play, just from a journalistic perspective, is that I don't have to write uh, a lot of uh, negative stories. I mean, there's negative stuff that happens in high school sports, and we f- have found ways to deal with that. We write columns about it occasionally, um, but the daily story is a story of success. Yeah, it's all it's always success, and you can find success in losses. I think that that's a lesson I picked up from coaches as a kid, and I think that you can find that now. You know, we just you know have recently covered you know the end of a lot of playoff runs in basketball as we kind of come to the close of basketball season. Only one team in the area won a state championship, so they're the only one that ended on that final high note. But sure. a ton of other ones, we find ways to end on high notes because of the ways that we write about it or the end of careers that were pretty special. Um, I think that, yeah, it's success. It's positivity. It's it's everything that people say they want to see from the news on a more regular basis. I think that's a pretty common refrain is that, what about a positive story? Well, we got them. In right. spades, <laughs> we got them all. Like that's pretty much all we do. So, Bart, you've been you've been doing this for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. But if you go back twenty years, the local papers were doing this. I mean this this was a mainstay part of of the daily rag, right? A huge part of it. And I think that if you go, you know, back if you go back even further, it's even more important. Um, it was an even bigger part. A lot of the cuts really started happening to newsrooms about twenty years ago like you said, and then everything sort of starts to evolve and change. And then, you know, people, some entities put a bigger value on high school sports a lot, just did not have the staff to cover it. it high school sports is a resource-intensive coverage model. I think you've got to have one person can't do it, uh, and you've got to have a lot of people 
that are involved in making it happen. You've got to have buy-in from coaches. You've got to have, you do not have, okay, so say you wanted to cover the ACC uh, in, or you want to cover the SEC, then you've got this massive trove of information that sits out there that you can pull. Like, you go get a box score. I can get a box score for any SEC game over the last 20 years pretty easily. If I want to go get a box score for, uh, say, for example, Buckingham County versus Amherst six years ago, good luck, man. Like, it is hard. It is hard to get a box score right then. It's hard to get information right then. You have to build a network. Of coaches who are wanting to send, send them to you, so you can curate that that whole. So you're, I mean, history. you you are creating and have created a you know a local journalism ecosystem. Yeah, and information from the, from, from the ground up. Yeah, it is you have to create an information conduit, and I think that it's if you don't have it, then you can't get the job done. And I think that local papers like were the easiest. Some people like are so you know that have been coaching for like twenty years just by their nature, like just like breathing, call into the local paper and call right. in their box score. But there are a lot of coaches that just have not seen that as the expectation. And so you have to work a lot of different ways. I mean, I get like my phone is just filled with pictures of basketball scorebooks. Right. And like that allows you to do more mm-hmm. and, and write about more. And like whether it's a text or whether it's, you know, okay, now we have a lot of technology that's doing a lot of this work. Like getting that information still is is important, and you've got to have it. And I think that if we don't have, and and that's our intent is to replace uh, what high school papers used to do, or what local papers used to do with high school sports. Our intent is to replace that and to to make sure that that sort of history continues. Like I'm big on that piece of the puzzle, that continuity of history. How many counties do you cover? We cover eight i think okay eight counties um we cover 17 no 19 high schools uh, so that was gonna be my next question so 19 is public and private high yeah. schools combined S- 17 play football which is part of what you build it around uh it, mm-hmm. it, that's that's a big key um and then yeah 19 schools we uh built it around the jefferson district here in okay. charlottesville that's uh was at one time an eight uh or nine team district when we first launched that's why we have goochland even though they are not no longer Goochland's a county near Richmond. Right. It's way far away from us. Right. Um, but we have a really dedicated we can look at the data and tell we have a really dedicated readership in Goochland. So when we write about Goochland, those things perform well. We're pretty data driven on that kind of thing. So how do you scale? I mean, you know, you've you've built this thing from the from the ground up. You've covered, you know, nineteen high schools, which is a population of you know, which half is, a million which people. Is probably two hundred sports when you combine boys and girls. I mean yeah. average Average school, I mean, some schools will have three to four sports, but some will have eight to ten that they're doing over the course of three seasons. I mean, you're, that's a lot of that's probably, no, that's 200 probably, to 300 sports. That's probably closer to 750,000 750, people across all those, all those counties. So how do you scale that from, or do you? Yeah, that's kind of great. That's, I think that when you look at your 10 years in, like there's a part of you that's like, well, if it was going to scale, we would have scaled it uh, like we were going to do it. But I think that we, when we launched, uh, that was a, a big part of our intent was like make something that is replicable in different areas. Make something that you can take and drop in to, for example, in North Carolina, we looked at the Wilmington market and we're like all right like what if if we were going to drop into wilmington how, how many how many boots on the ground do you need to make it work? how many do you need to make it work you need to know and like just the bottom line is is that proof of concept has taken a lot longer for us than we 
initially sure. predicted. Um, and I, you know, in our pre-conversation, I joked about how our initial business model had a helicopter by year six. We have no helicopter right now, which is a real bummer. Except for helicopter parents. <laughs> yeah, we have a ton of helicopter parents, <laughs> but we do not have like a physical helicopter. And the reason we had the helicopter was because I remember when I was a kid, they would use the travel chopper. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina. They would use the travel chopper on Friday nights. And this guy, Tom Suter, uh, who was a huge, he hosted the high school football show on Friday nights, would like, it, I remember him like, rappelling in off the helicopter i'm pretty sure that's not how it worked i'm pretty sure they landed and he walked <laughs> off but like he would fly around to like four different games in the area and we're like man how great would it be to bring that back well like I, helicopters and insurance have both gotten more expensive since which you know is true but i think that that's indicative of that we you know want like big things for this and i think that we will i, I like to think we will get there eventually but some of it just too is that we've been very picky about when the right opportunity is going right. to happen we've been through several different situations where we've considered purchasing uh, things that are similar in some ways that we would have to revamp in a pretty big way to make other organizations that are uh, other organizations that are trying to do high school sports coverage um, and bring sort of the, the model and the approach that we've developed into those areas. And it just has not been the right time or it has not been the the right fit. Um, I think that we, I think that is just, you know, whether that's institutional or whether that's whatever, but like we're very happy with what we do right now. So it's got to be a really good opportunity for us to expand beyond what we do. Well, you don't want to dilute what you've built either. I mean, no, you're, you're, you know, clearly you're an important part of what you do and that would take you away from, you know, from the Charlottesville region oh, to, yeah. to a new place. It moves you into a more, like, yeah. I mean, the basic structure of it has to be that either you bring in somebody who's managing it or you become the manager for, for various areas. And I think we've, We've got a lot of things that just we've made plans like that. We've got models that we've built out to to handle that, but it just has not been the right time to do it yet. And I think that too, like there's a lot of things that we still like to improve and like to do here that we're still working on and retooling. That um, sometimes it becomes paralysis of opportunity. Like sure. there's so many different places that you could do it. And that, you know, we have discussions, coaches that leave our area and go coach in other areas are like, hey, when are you guys coming down to Lynchburg, uh, you know, south of here? You know, when are you coming to Fredericksburg, uh, right. you know, east of here? <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, like, well, like, I mean, you need, the right, you need the right leader in the community who can do it the way you want it done to your standards to keep it going. Yeah, I mean, like, I, we have really high standards. Like, we have not, we've made mistakes, don't get me wrong. We, one time... Uh, we did an interview with a guy and asked him a ton of questions about how he was retiring and how everything was going, you know, and, and you know, what, why is, you know, why do you want to retire now? And he answered all the questions and everything, but it turned out he was not retiring. Uh, <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he just wasn't, he was not going to retire. Uh, and it, we had been told by somebody that that's what he was doing. And he, nope. we misunderstood and we ran the article and he like, it wasn't him. Like the PR person at the school called and was like, awesome article. I really enjoyed it. Except, except it's all wrong. Except for the premise that he's retiring, <laughs> which he's not. <laughs> so I think like we've made mistakes, but generally speaking, we don't repeat mistakes. And I think that's really important to us. It's always been important to us. And I think that, you know, we hold ourselves to a really high standard. And I think that you, you got to find people that can do that. And those people are more rare than you think. Um, and I think that when we find those right people, I think it'll, it'll be time to do that. 
So in my mind, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but one of the things that I think is one of your greatest assets is probably also one of your greatest challenges, which is customer acquisition, if you will, that you've got, you, you have a very, um, you've got a great pool of people who can be readers, listeners, however you, you can look at your consumer. Um, they are addicted to their children's sports. They're going to follow their kids' sports. When you put something out about a specific high school, they share it with each other, and and people find the you know scrimmage play in that manner. But there's also the negative side, which says most of these kids don't play. Hopefully, don't play high school sports more than four years. And Ideally, they roll, they roll out of out of that you know readership. And you know how do you how do you handle the customer acquisition? How do you manage to get people kind of addicted to your service in in you know ninth grade? And the parents of, the, of those kids and keep keep that entire continuity of of readership. I, I think you start with word of mouth. I think that it, you know, we have really strong word of mouth. You hear people talk about it, and say, if you walk in, um, I bigger games in particular, I wear a skirmish play hat uh, to games, and like that is sounds so simple, but it matters because people look down there like, hey, why is that guy shooting photos? It doesn't hurt that I'm a large human being. Uh, I think that people <laughs> notice that. I think that helps. I think, and a lot of people are like, hey, why is that guy shooting photos? Like, is he shooting photos of my kid? You know, and then they'll ask somebody in the stands and that person will be like, all right, that's Barb from Skirmish Play, like, or that's Ryan from Skirmish Play, or that's Drew from Skirmish Play, anybody who's on our staff. And um, they recognize that, or it's that's Christy Ellis. She shoots photos for Skirmish Play. I right. think that you get those people. We have a lot of name recognition within the community and i think that i really like how you just uh, to the premise of this whole podcast where we started talking about names you drop in the names of your staff <laughs> yeah i mean that was really well done i yeah. just just wanted to say that real quick i think that's important <laughs> i think it's important to recognize the people that have got you to where they get like we get there because of our staff and i think they do a really good job when they're out there of talking to people about what we're doing and who we are and and, and what we do but to specifically the student acquisition piece uh that is we're really thoughtful about making sure that if there is a young kid that's coming up, that's a freshman that's worth covering. Sam Burdell is the one that comes to mind. She was a she plays at Notre Dame now, um, and then she played at a small rural school here in uh, in Central mm -hmm. Virginia. And when she was a freshman, we went up and did a story specifically on her and the kids that were coming up with her. I think that where so where are you identifying that? I mean, you're not scouting all these kids yourself. Is this coming from the coaches who say? I've got a fabulous freshman right now that you need to take a look at. Is it coming from parents? Is it a variety of places? Uh, a lot of times as coaches, we know, you know, kids that are coming up. Um, you know, we, there's also kids that are just like youth sports legends um, right. that come up. Swimming is a sport where that happens a lot. We know about kids a lot of times because uh, here locally and in most communities, there's a swim league for youth kids. So you hear about kids that are already just throwing up awesome times when they're like seven years old that name a lot of times will stick in your head um and then you just kind of hold on to that and then you get there a lot of times coaches will just come to us and be like i got an eighth grader who is sweet just wait till this eighth grader shows up coaches want to talk about their kids sure and we do a lot of listening uh we're there after a lot of games you know unlike a lot of media entities you know we're there after games to do interviews to do uh you know to talk to folks and a lot of times just that discussion can lead to oh like we got a sixth grader who's coming up like i can't file them all away but a lot of the names that stick like you think of them and i will um, say just just purely based on the number of likes that you'll get on different posts i mean watching the 30 second interviews with a single athlete after a single event whether it's you know a, a tennis or a swimming or or 
basketball. Those are always among some of your most liked comments. And oh. people, people share the heck out of those things with, even if they don't even know that kid, they're like sharing it left and right. It's, it's hilarious. Oh, it was one of the best. And again, not to drop another name, but my father is the co-owner of Screamers Play. That's his idea was like, Hey, why don't we do the interviews and just post them directly? Yeah. Like you guys are already doing the interviews. I was hesitant to do that for a long time because I was worried. I'm always cognizant of trying to put kids in the most positive light that you can. And Man, it is hard to be interviewed by somebody, especially if, like, say you're 14, right? And like they stick a, a phone or a camera in front of your face. Man, that is like that is a really big challenge. And those kids, kids handle it so well, though. It is oh, it is amazing. They're really the, good at it. Yeah, they're just super good, super much better than I would be. Much better than. Well, like, they're also raised on it, though. I think they've watched so I mean, many other high school kids give the right. same kind of interview. And when you started ten asked. years ago, Instagram wasn't a thing. True. You know, yeah. we, there wasn't as much live video and you know, all, all the shenanigans kids are up to nowadays. That's an inherent customer acquisition problem, too, is that social media changes constantly. So we were like Facebook is a good example. We had, held our first football photo shoot and hadn't told anybody. We we're trying to kind of keep things secret until we could really drop because right. uh, we were a print magazine when we launched in 2009. So we kind of kept it secret. But when we went to the photo shoot, there were uh five kids in the initial photo shoot and then their families were there because like you do not like parents generally show up to these things anyway because they want to be involved in it but in when we didn't exist like for all intents and purposes they they wanted to be there and make sure and so when we got there we're like hey like why don't you tell people about it? we're trying to build a facebook following uh and get it going the first day uh we had uh my mom uh and me and <laughs> couple other people on our facebook thing by the end of the day from that photo shoot with people jumping online and telling we were up to 450 folks wow that night um i think it was just it was really rapid growth on that front. Do, you, do you have a medium that you'd like to push everyone like is there a medium in your mind that is the blog your favorite because it gives you long text is it instagram because it gives you the greatest access to do i want everybody volume to do posting what's the I want everybody to be on everything. <laughs> I think that that's really that's big for me. I'm a writer by trade. Right. Uh, that's what I like to do. I learned photography at my first newspaper job because they handed me a camera and said, "Hey, you got to figure out how to shoot. Um, it's time for you to learn how to do that." And I was like, "Time? I just showed up, and I you hired me as a writer." They're like, "No, you have to do everything here." And so then I became a page designer. After that, I became. Like, you learn the graphic design piece because you have to. You learn the camera. But by trade, I'm a writer. So, like, I would prefer that everybody sat down and read the, you know, 800 to 1,500 words that I wrote about. But I know that's not realistic either. So you have to figure out how to tell stories in shorter mediums. You have to figure out how to get information out in shorter places. I love – recently, Instagram has been the thing that I've loved the most that right. done. At one point, it was Twitter because uh, – we were really early adopters to Twitter. We were lucky to have a design firm that came to us and said, like, hey, Twitter is, like, perfect for what you're doing in 2009. when And so for it took a year and a half or two years for Twitter to really, like, really pick up and do anything for us. Facebook was still really driving everything. But right now I love what we're doing on Instagram. That's my favorite. Uh, I mean, it is, but it doing. is interesting how each of those mediums really has its own advantage for different types of postings. Twitter is still the perfect place for store score updates, right? Perfect. It is it is a place where you can go and just see what's, you know, and nobody minds the fact if you don't post for 20 minutes and they don't see it in the feed or they or you post it 20 times in 20 minutes, it's not filling the feed versus Instagram. It's, you know, 
that's a great place to get those 30 second interviews with the kids out or a quick highlight um like a single play yeah. that works really well in there everything kind of has its own language and you have to learn how to speak that language i think that's a always a challenge we're, we're working on snapchat and tiktok right now and like i gotta I be honest that one out yet. it's the first time i felt really old um is <laughs> like everything else has been like all right like i can see what's going on there and i know what we got to do i can i can feel it like i'm trying to figure it out i'm spending a lot of time talking to uh, uh high school student athletes about like how to do it how to use it how they'd like to see you use it sometimes you've got also got to give things time and respect uh high school student athletes space like they don't want maybe they don't want you on snapchat right. or maybe they don't want you know like as a brand, I think that's really important to us is just making sure that we're not being intrusive, that we're adding. Well, there, there's always, on. you know, the, the adage of all the kids left Facebook as soon as their parents got there. Yeah. And you don't want to be the parent, but like you also don't want to be. You have like, to be there for the them. student. Yeah. yeah. Like you have to be. It has to be, you know, something that works. Like when we have people that like now right now we have folks saying like, why are you all not on Snapchat? Why are you all not doing that? And like that to me is when it's time to figure that out. Right. It's time to get that done when they're not, you know, they're not seeing that as a protected space for them when they're seeing that as a, hey, like, this is an open space. We want you to be involved in it. And it turns out there's a ton of scrimmage play stuff on Snapchat. Uh, it's just not us. Right. Cur curating it. Kids are pulling it from other places, posting it there. They're screenshotting. They're doing There's a ton of our stuff that's on there. And sometimes you think like, OK, well, that's just where it lives and that's how it does. Um, and that may be the case, but that's like that's the customer acquisition problem that we have is that when everyone eventually migrates off Instagram that's in that age group, like we have to figure out a way to be where they are going to be yeah. next. So you said the other day one thing that really resonated with me, and again, I think it, it's it's fascinating hearing this conversation. There are a lot of similarities to what you're you're doing building your community, what Nest are doing building our respective communities locally, each of our franchisees, et cetera. Um, how long did it take you to build the trust? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you said people trust us, which is one of the most powerful things that anybody can say or have said about them. I think yeah, I'm sure there are people out there that don't trust us. But generally speaking, people trust us because we have done it the right way as much as we possibly could. And when we make mistakes, we're super accountable for them. When we make mistakes, we don't just try. Like We make a mistake on Twitter. We don't delete it as much as we possibly can. If we can immediately delete it because it's a typo, then we'll do it. But generally speaking, we make a mistake. We reply and say like, hey, that's it. But we're strongly grounded in journalistic ethics. So we try and do things the right way. And we also think all the time about that this is a 15-year-old. This is a 16-year-old. This is a 14-year-old. They're kids. That's important because, I look, I have no interest in being held accountable for anything that I did from 14 to 18 at this point in my life. Amen. I don't. <laughs> and if I had had, if social media had been a thing back then, I don't know. Like, I don't, like, these kids have handled interviews in a big, like, like we talked about, that they handle interviews really well. I'm not positive that I could have totally handled it as well as they do. I might have said something a little crazier. Right. Um, and I think that you've got to be, you've got to keep kids from hurting themselves because that's important. And I think that, you know, we've done that consistently for more than a decade. We've not put a kid in a bad spot. Um, and we've avoided doing that. And we've also done a lot uh, in the community to support, you know, people that didn't have a voice before. Um, you know, here in Charlottesville, there is, you know, a history of, uh, you know, segregated schools. Right. And at one point, the uh, 
the athlete, student athletes that now are in their 60s and 70s or 80s that were not being included in uh, Hall of Fame discussions statewide. Um, and we spent a lot of time writing about that piece because it needed it was a, a, a needed voice. a voice. They needed a voice, and they were voiceless in a lot of ways, and they weren't getting heard. And then, you know, we were the only media entity that was there when the uh, BIA, which kind of handles that history, uh, launched their Hall of Fame. We were the only people that had a writer in the room that day um, because we thought that was important. Like we thought, yeah, like I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna drive clicks in a big way. Uh, it's not gonna be a huge data piece for us, but like we're gonna use our resources to make sure that they have a voice that they have something that's going on. Um, we have been cognizant. We've run both paid and unpaid combines in, in our past and, and done those um, and just created opportunities for kids to get a 40 time that they can use when it comes to recruiting, uh, if it's football, or uh, get a chance to, to play. You know, it, it, Travel sports are expensive. It's expensive to go other places. That can be a barrier to entry for a lot of kids that, you know, socioeconomically. And we've tried to break down some of those barriers. Have not done the best job on that. I'd like to solve more of those problems. And I think that we've got a lot of things that we want to do in the future that do that. But, you know, for instance, each spring we host a series of seven-on-seven events, which are expensive for schools to travel to. Uh, Usually you have to go to Richmond or Lynchburg, uh, you know, schools that are at least an hour away from our area. Um, And, we wanted to provide an opportunity that was important to me for my development as a high school football player. We wanted to provide opportunities to do that. So we front the, you know, the bill for, for doing that and making that happen. So then people, sometimes people take better advantage of it than others, but the opportunity is at least there. And I think that's been important to us is to not just be somebody who takes out of the community, but gives back in, in smaller ways. Not, we have, like I said, I don't think that we've had necessarily the massive impact that we would want, but in small ways, we've continued to make sure that we're a part of what's going on. Sure. And it's been awesome. Like the combine is a good, a good example. It, it feeds what we do journalistically, too, because a kid named Rashard Davis showed up uh, who nobody had seen play yet because he'd been injured. He showed up and he clocked like a 4, 4, 5, 40, which is just super fast. Um, and then he ended up playing uh, for JMU's national championship uh, football team and then played for the Eagles in the NFL. Um, and he's one of the only – and you know, local guys who've made it in the NFL over the last few years, and he, that was a breakout moment for him at our combine. It's great for us, yeah. but great for him too. Right. Well, you're not you're not changing the world, but you're changing little pieces of people's worlds, which yeah. I think is something that not a lot of people get the opportunity. To, not a lot of people take the opportunity to do that. So it's kind of phenomenal what you're That's doing. It's a really nice way to say it. I you're really welcome. appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> no, and I, yeah, you know, honestly, I mean, as as a parent of a kid who is an athlete, it's you know the. The outlets have been shrinking and changing, I think, and not even shrinking. They've been changing, right? They've been moving from a traditional print publication and, and minimal coverage in, in TV media to now going online. And I think you've done an amazing job of kind of picking that up. Um, for the listeners at scrimmageplaycva.com is the is the website, but you can also get links over to his, his Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and everything else through that. But, Bart, you know, just this this show is, is Sweat the Details, and, um, you know, we always ask people – within your business, within the jobs that you're doing. And, and I say it with a plural because I know there are multiple things that you do within your task kind of, but what is, what's that one detail that every day you just, you kind of sweat to make sure that this scrimmage plays on the right track. I think that people way undervalue how important it is to show up and, and to be there. Um, I think that that's the, 
detail piece it's important like we work so hard to get a lot of information from a lot of different sources when we can't be there but more often than not we just want to be there uh we want to show up because that can change that can change how you see something that can see change the way that you write about something that can change you know it can open you up to something completely different and just being there and showing up is just so is so important and i think that that's that that changes that yeah like we can write about a track meet when we're not there right but it's not going to be the same it's not going to have the quality I'll, I'll say you know just from the from the parent standpoint you know i officiate you and i've been on deck at swim meets before and and i've i've sat there and listened to multiple times that i'll hear kids commenting about there's you know there's bart that swimmers play over there and it's not just the the viewpoint that you bring to the table that changes. It's the way that the kids see your presence and your involvement in their activity and the the level of commitment that they know that you have with their with their sport. And I think it's just that's hugely valuable, not just to the kids and what they think that adults think of their activities and their sports, but but also just the way they're perceiving what your job is and your role. And so thank you for what you're doing for this community and for the kids and um, appreciate you taking the time to spend this morning with us. Cool. Thanks, Thanks. Bart. Page late. To use the word page late. Get out! <laughs> <laughs> we got We're good. Uh, 38 seconds into that one. Oh, Lord. <laughs>